0: Welcome to Baby Boomer Tales. My name is Jim. It's nice to have you with me today. The title of our episode today is Lake Chicago. After I got out of high school, left home, went on my big adventures traveling, I came home. I believe I was going to come home and get my car. While I was home, a man that my family were friends with He lived at the bottom of the hill we lived on top of the hill and his name was lloyd he was working up in canada as a carpenter at a fishing lodge and he needed help it was about the first of september and my mom asked him to come meet with me so we visited and i always liked lloyd i think i would helped him on a couple little projects here and there and, and i decided to go to Canada with him, we'd be back before winter. And so we flew out of Denver and flew into Detroit. From Detroit, we drove over the Canadian border towards Toronto. And somewhere after we crossed the border, we boarded a prop plane that had pontoons on the bottom of it and took off and went northwest and as we were flying there's nothing but lakes, lakes and trees, and trees and lakes for several hundred miles and then we landed on this lake and the name of the lake is Lake Chicago and we pulled into the dock there, got out and this was a fishing lodge clear up in the middle of Ontario, hundreds of miles from anyone or anything. The closest neighbors was an Indian tribe it was on the same lake, but clear on the other end of the lake and Lake Chicago was fairly large. It wasn't huge, but it was just part of a network of many, many lakes. It is situated approximately one hundred and fifty miles north northwest of what today is called Thunder Bay, Ontario, back when I was there thunder bay didn't exist there are two cities together port arthur and fort william is a beautiful wonderful place and i'm sure we flew in with some guests that had come to fish i don't think they would have flown us in just for the carpenter and his helper but once i was there my duties included helping lloyd in every way i could Plus, I had to do various other chores around the lodge. The lodge had about four or five fishing guides. And if memory serves me right, they were all Indian, except for this one great big man. His name was Ernie. And Ernie's most prominent feature, besides being so huge, tall, and of big girth, his, one of his hands was all withered. It looked like he had been in an accident with a f- piece of farm equipment or something. Maybe that was from birth. But that didn't stop Ernie. He was a great guide. Most people asked for him. Full of bluster. and He was just all over everything and in everybody's business and very likable person. Plus, we had the people that were in charge of the place, a man and wife. They ran the lodge. There was a maid there, a young girl probably about my age, and I believe that's all. There was probably about 10 or 12 of us all together, including the guides. The guides lived out in these little cabins, looked like a cheap old motel that was built out there. And then the rest of us lived in the lodge, and the lodge had a lot of rooms. It was a big, big building. Everywhere you went, if you wanted to go someplace, you had to go by boat. The boats were these big aluminum or steel boats without board motors, and they'd hold probably eight or more people. If we were to make a mail run, which we did once a week, we'd get there'd be at least four of us that did the mail run, and we get in the boat and we go through a couple of different lakes. then we'd have to portage the boat. And the way we portaged it where there were railroad tracks that were built and you would lift the boat, carry it to the portage and set it on this car with wheels on it and push that boat over a little hill on the railroad tracks and then down the hill so then we could continue our journey on the next lake. And it was a lot of work. That's why four of us had to go get the mail and the mail was more than just letters it was supplies and all that stuff fishing there was amazing i believe we must have eaten fish almost every meal there the lady that was the cook and i forgot to mention her earlier her name was mary i can remember that and she was a great cook but she'd make these fish in these big fillets and it was like steaks I watched some of those guys bring their fish back, and it was amazing. Basically what they caught there were walleye and northern pike. There's a big, long pier that you could walk out where the water was surrounding you on all sides and fish just there in the evenings. If you're a guest, though, the Indian guides, Ernie, would take you out, clear out into the lake, and find the great fishing spots. One time, first fish I caught there was this northern pike and it's huge and it's like I don't know if you know what a northern pike is but if you can picture an alligator without legs that's almost how I have to describe these fish and they can get quite big and I was so proud of myself and I go running up to uh, where the guides stayed and showed Ernie my fish and he said throw that baby back that fish is too small what are you talking about this fish is a, a handful he must have weighed 5 or 6 pounds maybe more i don't know it's a big fish well as i stayed there longer i understood what ernie said because some of the fish they would bring back were really quite large it's amazing to fish up there there's nothing like fishing in colorado at all and nothing like fishing in the midwest now You can catch those bass and they jump in the air and give you a great fight. I even had a bass break one of my fishing poles once by the fight he gave. But they are no northern pike. By riding those boats, and you ride everywhere, after the first week, something was wrong with me. Something was terrible wrong with me. I was miserable. I didn't know what was going on. So I explained to Lloyd, I couldn't even hardly get out of bed. So he talked to the managers, and the managers talked to Ernie, and Ernie came and talked to me, and what was going on is I had hemorrhoids sitting in those cold aluminum boats on that cold, cold water. It drew these hemorrhoids out of me. I didn't even know what hemorrhoids were. I had never even heard of hemorrhoids, and now I am miserable I couldn't sit. I could barely lay down. Walking was almost impossible. So Ernie explained to me that he had contacted his wife back in town and that she sent out that day hemorrhoid medicine for me and I'd be okay. Well, it took days to get there. Days and days. Probably close to a week. And I was miserable. Now, it was probably Preparation H or something like that, but it did help. I was very careful after that. I sat on a little pillow and the guides would kind of snicker and give me a bad time about my tender butt. I don't care. It was the worst thing in the world. Years later, during a World Series, George Brett of the Kansas City Royals developed hemorrhoids right during the series. And I think he missed a game, possibly. It was a big news story. And everybody was cracking jokes about it and stuff. And all I could think is poor George. Now I'm not associating myself with George Brett. Not one little bit. But I felt his pain. I surely did. As I was going on a mail run. On two different occasions I saw a wild animal that I had never seen before in the wild. One was a grizzly bear standing there on the shoreline of one of the lakes. And they are really quite huge. And the other was a bull moose standing on the railroad tracks as we approached to get the mail. And I couldn't believe how big a moose was. Since then, I've seen several in the wild. Back where I was raised now, almost every time we go and visit, if we go up towards the national park, we'll see a moose. Back when I was growing up, though, they did not exist up there until they had a moose release in the early 70s, and now they're quite abundant in population. Well, as time went on, and I'd been there almost three weeks, and I was getting very, very lonesome. The one girl that was the maid there, she was okay. We talked some. She was was okay, but I wanted to be around some people that weren't in their 40s and 50s, and so I came up with this plan to go to town, and I schemed, and I... Planned and I laid some seeds out. And as it was, I took a few days off, maybe four or five days, to go down to Port Arthur and Fort William, better known as Thunder Bay today. And so when we went to get the mail, there were five of us in the boat because four of them had to go back once I went to the railroad tracks. I had to sit there and wait for the train. When the train came, I got on it, and it was a freight train. With a passenger car on the back. And to go those 150 miles as the crow flies by train. A passenger car on the back of an old freight train that stopped at every stop and unloaded and loaded. And then we get going and we wouldn't go very fast. And clickety-clack, 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 that old freight train would go. Not very fast. And then it stop and then it unload or then it would load and then it go again. And it took about eight hours to get to Fort William and Port Arthur. I was so glad to get off of that train. I mean there was nothing to do on the train. There was no dining car or Vista Dome or I don't even know if there was a conductor. It was just an old passenger car hooked to the back of a freight train. Well, I get there, and I found a motel or a hotel. I found a hotel. And I had some money, obviously. And once I was there, and I spent a day and a night there, and all of a sudden I got lonesome for the fishing lodge. The city wasn't what I was kind of thinking it was when I was up there all lonesome. So after two or three days, I got back on the train, the old freight train with the passenger car, and went back. They met me at the railroad tracks and took me back to the lodge, and I was happy to be there. As a boy growing up in the mountains, I was always amazed how people would get lost up in the mountains. I couldn't even fathom it in my mind. I always thought if you're lost, you get up so you can see something because there's hills and mountains everywhere, and get your bearings and keep going. I knew that the sun rose in the east and set in the west. Well, in the middle of Ontario, you could walk a little ways away from the lodge, and there's just these knobby hills. They're full of pine trees, and there's pine trees everywhere. The only place that there is not pine trees is in the lake. And so there's pine trees everywhere. And if you get a couple hundred yards away from the lodge, everything looks the same. And it's always overcast in September. I don't know how often I saw the sun there. It's always overcast or like you were in a cloud or there was fog or something constantly. And all of a sudden, everything looks the same. Your only hope is to wander around until you can find a lake and then follow the shoreline. And it actually kind of spooked me. It gave me a new appreciation for those folks that weren't raised in the mountains, that maybe went up there and got lost. I would read all the time, a missing hiker. A couple months later, they find their body. And I just couldn't fathom it. And all of a sudden, I thought, I could be a missing hiker here. And they may never find me. Everything's the same. Nobody's here. There's no civilization out here. It's an amazing thing. Today I looked up Lake Chicago and I found the name of the lodge is called Moose Point Lodge and I don't think that's what it was called back then. I know it's changed hands since I was an 18-year-old boy and went up there just to help old Lloyd out. It is a beautiful, beautiful place. That country is basically untouched and may always be that way. It's good to be alone and it's good to have someone with you. As long as those are your choices where you choose to be alone or you choose to be with somebody. It's a hard thing when you want to be with someone and you're all alone. And it's a hard thing to be with people all around and feel like you're all alone. Just reach out, be kind, be nice, do what you can do and don't become discouraged. It'll be okay. It'll be all right. There's someone out there for everybody. All we have to do is keep our eyes and our heart open. You can access our webpage at babyboomertales.com. There, there are links to our Facebook page and places you can listen to our podcast. If you access the YouTube link, you can actually listen to it with closed captioning on So if you know somebody that's hearing impaired, this is a great way for them to enter into the world of podcasts and be entertained a little, especially if they want to listen to this one. Thank you for being here with me today. Thank you for going back with me 50-some years. Kindness is a good thing. I'll be back next week.